Hey everybody, it's Dave here and Darren over there. And we're here to talk what happened in this fantastic week of post Vikings regular season football. And there is a lot, so stick with us. Welcome to Two Old Bloggers, home of news and commentary for your Minnesota Vikings. Hey everybody, welcome to Saturday. I haven't had enough to drink yet. That's the problem. <laughs> Saturday afternoon football talk between two old bloggers. You got me, Dave, one old blogger, and over here you have Darren, the other old blogger. How you doing, Darren? I'm doing uh, great, Dave. How are you doing? I I could be better. Didn't sleep well last night. A little grumpy. So that should be interesting when this show really gets rolling. Uh, we're going to talk about, as I previewed, what's happened this week. There's a lot of change. There needs to be a lot of change. It's the theme of today's show, Vikings Decisions, A Time to Change. So let's get into it. Indeed. All right. Here we go. We've got a picture of TCO Center the office building and headquarters of your Minnesota Vikings. And a lot of things happened after the game against the Bears where the Vikings pulled out the win, but the next morning they fired both Rick Spielman and Mike Zimmer. These two gentlemen were the premier... Decision makers, Mark and Ziggy Wilf, and they called Rick Spielman into the office first. It was supposedly at 7.30, and then told him he was no longer going to be there. He was reportedly shocked at that. And then Mike Zimmer at 8.15 told Mike he was being released. Mike supposedly said thank you, nodded his head, and turned out turned around and walked out the building. Reportedly. Flip flipped on the bird after he closed the door. <laughs> I don't know about that. But first decision where you wanted to talk about was Mike Zimmer. Go for it. The uh, what I'd wanted to talk about with uh, the Zimmer getting fu- uh, fired was uh, the way he went out and um, not uh, what is reported is, and I think it's it's been corroborated a few times now, is that Spielman, after he got the news, like you said, he was very surprised. He had been working on, uh, if you believe some of the reports, he'd been working on p- potential head coaching candidates uh, and thought he'd be part of that process. Uh, wasn't part of the process, but he when he, he got the, the bad news for him, and the good news for a lot of Viking fans, um, <laughs> no, no, no offense, Rick, <laughs> and, uh, he addressed the team. And I, I, it apparently, uh, according to Doogie Wilson, it was an emotional um, address by him. Uh, Zimmer did not, uh, from what we uh, have heard, had, did not address the team. And in his not statement... Not on Monday. Not on Monday. No, there was word... Mm-hmm. That he did after the game in the locker room. Mm. 
But yeah, but there's nothing to corroborate that other than people said, yeah, he talked to him after the game because there was no cameras there or nothing's been released. So we don't know. But you're about to talk about Mike Zimmer's statement. Yes, in that statement. Uh, and if you need to, you got it up there. Um, if you get a chance to, to read it at all, but the, no mention, uh, no thanking of Spielman or the Wilfs, who were the ones that gave him his shot to become a head coach after he'd been turned down many times, uh, or not many times, I don't know if many times, but he had been turned down in, in the past, hadn't got a coaching job, uh, no mention of them, and no, you know, he mentions the players, at least this is how I interpret it, he mentions the, the players that, uh, on the Vikings that welcomed him in 2014 when he started the job, but he didn't mention, thank the players he played for him this year. No, all he uh, said is I'll and, miss coaching the players. And I want to thank the ones that welcomed me in 2014. Yeah. And I don't, I, I just, I'm not the only one who's noticed those, uh, the, the things that aren't in his statement. Um, and it just, to me, that's, uh, that was a surprising thing for 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 me to see from uh, from Zimmer. He'd uh, it, what uh, the before he got the job in 2014. What had been said as to why Zimmer had not gotten the job, a head coaching job before that, after many successful seasons as a defensive coordinator, was that uh, he in interviews he was too blunt. He rubbed people the wrong way, uh, and uh, and. You know, maybe he, he lacks some of those uh, people management skills that are so important when you're in a head coaching position. And now he eventually did get the job in 2014, and we talked about this before, Dave. Uh, uh, when In 2014, when he got the job, he was an obvious candidate to me to take over the Vikings as a head coach, and I wanted the Vikings to get him as a head coach. I thought they needed a guy who was a tough guy, uh, no-nonsense, defensive mind, after the Leslie Fraser years, where it was seemed to be more of a laissez-faire, uh, mm-hmm. and the defense didn't defense was in a lot of uh, in a big mess. We got him. I was very happy. I think a lot of Vikings were. Things turned out very well. I think from 2014 to 2017, uh, the team got better. It played tough football. It played smart foot. Excuse, excuse me. It played smart football. Uh, but after 2018, things just seemed to. Yeah, didn't go, improve. Go south. Hey, <laughs> Dan, Aaron, we are going to talk about that momentarily. And now, uh, I just you wanted I to just bring up a that... player that did vocalize his support for um, Mike Zimmer on the way out. Yeah, it was uh, one that I noticed was Dalvin Cook. It was the week uh, the week leading up to the Bears game, the final, and he was very, I thought, very vocal in the support of the coaching staff, said, these are the guys I ride with. Uh, they've done a lot for me. We're all in this together. Uh, I support them. Um, and Cook is one of the best players the Vikings have. He's a team leader, and that says something. Uh, so there was, you know, he was a guy who was in support of Zimmer, uh, even though, but couple other guys uh, most uh, whose comments got a lot of play last week were Brian O'Neill and uh, Eric Kendricks. And they said things, a lot of things, that uh, if you read between the lines, and you don't even have to read between the lines in some, when they some go, cases. Uh, the, uh, what was it, the exact quote? Well, uh, the, 
the big uh, the big one that got the biggest play was was Kendrick's talking about uh, a culture of fear does fear. not work. Yeah, I, I I might not get the exact words right on that one, but, but, that, but that's that, a pretty that that was the one I was referring to. And yes, if you're living in, uh, you know, living in a workspace where you think you're walking on eggshells all the time and you don't want to piss off the wrong people, that is not a very healthy workplace to be in whatsoever. It's especially not for your own mental health. It's, uh, it's very it's frustrating for us watching on the outside. It's got to be miserable for the players and staff that were on the inside. And you know the thing that really this, um, that really stands out with Kendricks talking about the culture of fear doesn't work. He also talked in his comments about you know he felt it was important that all players felt that they had a voice that they could voice how they the the you know the direction of the team where it was going uh, and that that would be valued he didn't feel that it was under the current coaching staff Brian O'Neill was uh, had a lot of comments I thought which were more geared to uh, you know the impact of a of a team culture on younger players mm-hmm. uh, it wasn't so long ago he was a fresh rookie f- four seasons ago but. One of the criticisms about Zimmer, of course, has been that he, he, I don't know if he didn't like rookies, but he they had a very short leash if he played them. He was reluctant to play uh-huh. them uh, when he did, it seemed. Uh, and uh, and if you look at how Cam Dancer was handled or, you know, some other players, you know, well, kind it, of a yo-yo thing. Only, he played them only if he had to was a lot of yeah, the perception. You know, there were some exceptions, and Eric Kendricks is, is one of those who started from the day he got here. But, uh, you know, for O'Neill, yes. you know, talking about, you know, really important for, you, you know, it's important if when you're, we spend so many, so much time together, the season is so long, you know, we need, it'd be nice if, you know, you had guys who said hi to you in the in the hallway when they saw you, See, who asked what, how you were that's doing. That's what blows my mind. As a leader, you want to take care of your people. You want to make sure everything's going well, and that includes learning who they are, and generally good ones to learn who the families are, the significant others, you know, hey, Zimber's a dog guy. Maybe he learns that, you know, you have a dog and his name is Teddy or whatever, you know, things like that. That makes people more personable and makes them want to work for you even harder. And that and it's one of Zimmer's faults, without a doubt. And it cost him his job. I- one of the reasons. I, yes, you know, it was one of the reasons, and other and other than not winning enough, but uh, oh, I'll give you, you know, another one con- here momentarily. Yeah, but Kendricks and O'Neill or uh, those their comments really stood out to me. They didn't mention Zim specifically, but again, uh, there are two guys, team leaders, never cause any problems off the field or on the field. Uh, leaders in their community, it seems, for them to say those sorts of things about. The culture of the team, I think, says a lot about what the culture of the team was. Now, when when a season doesn't go well or two seasons didn't go well, like we've had with the Vikings in 2020 and in 2021, there's always going to be a lot of fingers pointed at all kinds of people, oh, particularly place. the head coach. Mm-hmm. Yeah, his fault. And, and his, and fault. his fault. Yeah, yeah, his fault. And so the stories come out about their, you know, they did this and that and the other thing. It happened when Les- Leslie Frazier was here. It happened when Dennis Green was here. It happened when Brad Childress was here. But for those team <laughs> leaders, those respect respected guys to 
come out and say pretty strong statements without naming the head coach. Uh, and then you, then you see that uh, the statement that Zimmer came out and kind of the way he handled the last week or so, some of those press conferences where he was, you know, his, he basically was insulting and saying Kellen Mond was insinuating that Kellen oh, Mond no was a brutal, brutal, brutal player. <laughs> and he, no, had no business being on the bench. That leads me to to believe that that the, the stuff about the, the culture of fear uh, that uh, you know Zimmer was uh, had lost at the locker room. That makes me believe that there's a lot to that. It's not maybe not be a hundred percent picture, the hundred percent of the story, but I think it's, it's, that a, it's his a players. It's it's a big piece, and I think a lot of his players did not weren't buying what he was selling anymore, and I think it uh, it impacted the play on the field. Mm-hmm. First, I want to address Cwise. Cwise, uh, Mod was running the uh, the what is it the other team squad all season scout team scout Isn't that what they call so, it. So uh, he was he was being watched. Um, was he stuck in at valuable reps during the week on with the starters? No. Uh, nope, 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 nope. All right. We got Wayne has fighting with uh, the Rona. Never go with bad beer, Wayne. Never, never. It never works out. Um, <laughs> there's uh, one thing I wanted to bring up that popped up today. Phil Mackey reported it, but it was not Phil Mackey that started this one. It was Deion Sanders on uh, um, Barstool Sports. Otherwise known as uh, Zimmer's proxy. <laughs> hey, they love each other. And, yeah. you know, and Dion credits Zim for his Hall of Fame career. So, and down there when you get to the 925 mark. And if you haven't see, seen this, please go look it up. It's it's quite interesting. But he talks about um, Rick and Mike hadn't talked in months. How long is the season, people? It's months. That had to have been, you know, early on that the whole – They've got to the entire point where we're not talking to each other, right? It hadn't been bad before then. But you get to that point, it's really, really bad. And you can understand, how does that translate to inside the building? If you've got one person pissed off at the other person and the other person pissed off at the other person, and I've heard stuff about Rick being, he's going to make every decision type deal, and his staff's pissed off at him, and... You got players pissed off at Mike and the whole thing. It's just a massive, massive mess inside the building. Just, I'm surprised the dysfunction level wasn't even higher from what we're starting to hear out. Now, that was Dion. Of course, Phil responds. The QB portion of that comment, um, Brings into question how Mike felt about the QB play, i.e. we only have one playing. We know who that is. And <laughs> and that they went with, you know, the everything's fine. Things clearly been dysfunctional for a while. No sense in avoiding hiding the truth now. Um, but I, 
what I'm reading out of this is the major sticking point was the sticking point that started it all. If you divide up and we talked about it with Judd, you had the first term, you know, where Zim builds up the team. Everything's great. 2017, we got leaders, the whole works, everything's wonderful. And then after that, it goes downhill. Um, it's very interesting that this is coming to start out. Tommy Kramer, the great Tommy Kramer, even he weighs in. And he says, uh, talking with former players, everybody felt that one quarterback was a mistake and Zim was right. But we all need to be positive and move forward. So, and we agree here at, at least I believe we agree here at Two Old Bloggers, we need to be positive and move forward. However, I think the one thing about the, before we leave those comments, uh, and that it was a great uh, Twitter uh, exchange that that you cobbled together, David. But uh, I uh, again, we know we know Zimmer and Sanders are very tight, and uh, that uh, it would you know Sanders was uh, literally serving as, him for his career. So yeah, I and and Sanders is probably the greatest cornerback who ever played. Uh, so that's pretty you know pretty uh, pretty strong statement. Nobody ever said that Zimmer wasn't a good good defensive coach. Uh, I don't think anybody's been, well, maybe some people have been saying that lately, but if you look at his whole career, the guy is a great defensive ball coach, but. Oh, um, Steven, that's I, bad. Uh, Especially since anyway, you're in we, Australia. Hopefully you don't get carted off to some camp somewhere. Here, here, here we go. Dave's taking another shot at Australia's COVID rules. <laughs> uh, get well, Stephen. Hope your family gets well. Uh, but I, I, the Sanders is must have got you know. It's almost like Sanders was paid, like Antonio Brown was paid to oh. to say that nice stuff about Zimmer on Cameo. It seems like Zimmer <laughs> Sanders gets paid <laughs> to say that you know that yeah, it was but... all the QB, the all the QB's fault. Sure, uh, Kirk Cousins, uh, the Kirk Cousins fit with minute the Vikings has not worked out the way we expected, but. When your quarterback throws for uh, 4,300 yards, 33 TDs, seven intercept, you know, seven interceptions, and your defense is fucking 31st in the league, uh-huh. what is the, hey, what is the what is the real what is the real problem? Yeah, Who no, coaches the defense? Who no, coaches there, the there's defense? An, there's Zimmer an issue. Does. Like I said, just individual pieces of that pie. They all come together to make one massive dysfunctional mess. And the Wolves did the right thing. They've cleared out the first two, and we're going to get into that momentarily. Well, Mike, we wish you luck wherever you go. I do hope at one point in time, if you decide to retire, that you open up a vein and let us all know what happened, or eventually write that book, because it would be great reading. Can you imagine Zimmer working with like a journalist to write that book? I, I don't think it's going to be Chris Thomas, and he'll be. Oh no, it'll be Chris. <laughs> but that would be funny, and Chris would probably yeah. do an outstanding job. Um, he would. Um, and that would be extremely funny. Uh, I don't think it'd be uh, Collar either. However, I wouldn't mind Collar writing it because he does well writing. All right, well, on to our second theme of the day. The other half of that story, Mr. Rick Spielman. Mark and Siggy said, Rick, <laughs> we're no, you know, 
we know we're going to surprise you, but uh, bye-bye. You're part of this problem. And as we just saw the inter, uh, interchange with, if you're, if you're the GM and you're not talking to your head coach in months during the prime time of your season, you've got a problem as GM. That's also a leadership problem. Because you two are supposed to be working together, like, you know, attached at the hip. Mm-hmm. So that may be part of the reason why Mark and Ziggy said, there's the door. Yes, we're going to pay you both for the next two years, but gone. I think as an NFL owner, you you accept those. Uh, you don't like it, but you accept those sunk costs because right. uh, and you write them off the as time, losses right? type deal. Yeah. Metaphorically speaking. Yes, that's right. Now, let's talk about some of the GM hunts. And for those that have not watched yet, go back to Climbing the Pocket YouTube page and look up the sit rep I posted this morning talking about the Big Eight. In the GM search, the the search committee, which involves the Wilfs, um, some interior people like Brez, uh, Jamal Stevenson, uh, there's one or two more. Miller, 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 Miller yeah. Andrew, Miller, yeah. And, uh, and I think there may be some other, a couple or two outsiders involved as well. They're putting together the list. And on the Vikings Daily Sit Rep from this morning, we discussed that list, uh, Tyler Fornes and I, how the list was bigger. They've whittled it down to eight. Two of our favorite candidates are, not, are no longer in consideration One's in Dallas, that's uh, McClay, and uh, Dodds over in Indy is the other one. They didn't make the list for reasons that they declined. Um, Dodds, it was because he wants to wait and do something there. McClay, because Jerry Jones is going to pay him a shit ton more money, which makes sense. I'll stay there if that's the case. And, and they want to stay there. So that's fine. So there's eight external candidates left. You wanted to talk about this one, Queasy Adolfo Menza? Yes, I wanted to talk about uh, the Vikings general manager search in general. And one thing I am happy that that, uh, I agree with the the ownerships and the organization's stance to, to come up with these candidates themselves rather than getting a search firm to do it because i think you know that shows that they really are taking this not that getting a search firm to head a headhunting uh, or a company to do it it would mean you were serious but i think you know the, the fact that the, the the wilfs are heavily involved in this and and have gotten the whole organization who will be working with the with the gm uh, when he's hired i think is a very good thing uh so uh, i i like that that good approach point. and and I also, um, there's, like I said, there's eight candidates on there. I think that the uh, one of the you've noticed, if you look at the candidates, there's a lot of uh, there's a, there's a lot of minority diversity in that. You've got uh, one female, uh, a lot of African American guys, and uh, a lot of guys from successful, you know, pretty successful organizations. Adolfo Mensa uh, uh, is uh, I'm bringing him up because. Um, He's the one guy, and he's one guy that he never played football, right? He does not have a football background. He played basketball at Princeton, but he is very much 
Uh, he's been a hot candidate. He was with the 49ers, and then the, the Browns poached him. And uh, and so he's like been there, their player uh, VP, I think, of uh, player personnel right at the moment. Uh, been with them the last two years. And a very bright guy, uses analytics and player evaluation. And we've talked about this before, mm-hmm. uh, uh, David, about you know analytics and maybe right. incorporating that more in 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 gameplay during the season but also in player evaluations and uh, if you look uh, ben lieber put out uh, this isn't uh, he put out he looked at all the eight candidates and he put uh, uh, put a list of notable uh, players that have been drafted while these individuals who are being interviewed for the general manager manager position uh, were drafted while they were with the organizations. And if you look at Adolfo Mensa, some of the players, Debo Samuel, George Kittle, Fred Warner uh, with Cleveland, you got Owusu Koromoa, that the linebacker who created all kinds of havoc when the Browns played us. the Vikings. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Greg Newsom, the second. The, cor- the rookie cornerback was probably the best rookie cornerback this year. Baker Mayfield is a quarterback. Uh, there's other guys I'm not mentioning, but those are some pretty good players. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if, if we don't know Adolfo Mensa's uh, impact on selecting those guys, but we do know that while he was with the 49ers and the Browns, those are players that were uh, selected by those organizations. There's a few whiffs in there too, like Akello Witherspoon at cornerback. <laughs> you know, he's with the, the Steelers now uh, and, you know, a couple of others. But uh, I like that list of names as people that have been drafted recently. And, you know, that the Vikings, um, you know, they, they is, they they've got a pretty good players. roster right now, mm-hmm. but they need good quality players. Uh, so I like the analytics background of the Dosa Mensa. I like some of the players that have been, uh, some of those players that have been drafted while he was with those organizations are some of the best at their position. George, George Kittle, probably the best tight end in the NFL. Mm-hmm. Debo Samuel just made the second team all pro. Fred Warner's considered one of the best linebackers in the NFL. And we've got a linebacker issue coming up this season. Yes. So we'll talk about uh, it shortly. And he, you know, Dosa Mensa is 32 years old, young, Bright, highly educated, doesn't have a didn't play football, but he's been immersed in football he's for a number been of years. In sports. Now. He, like you said, yeah. Princeton graduate. He's got his master's, and I think he's got a doctorate as well. I know he's at least got his master's. He went on to Wall Street to make his wealth there. Uh, I don't know how much wealth he did make, but he was on Wall Street as a trader. And uh, so he knows numbers. And he comes from the more business side. And like you said, he has the reputation of being a sponge when it comes to information. He is very personable. He gets along with people just great from what I'm hearing. And uh, I think I think he'd be a fantastic choice. I think it's more on the cutting edge versus the um, standard. There's three buckets you can pull uh a GM out of, you can pull one out of the traditional one, which is the scout guy works his way up through the scouting system um, through the years, college scouting, pro scouting, advanced scouting, you know, and scout, 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 and evaluating um, players' talents that way. A lot of those guys are former players, and they, and they work their way up. That's the biggest chunk of GMs. You have the side that comes from the business side, which is uh, 
these guys got degrees, they uh, could be lawyers, they could be cap guys, and they could be an analytics-driven people. They're looking at it from a slightly different version. And then the third bucket is the from the coaching side, and there's a few of those as well. And uh, but there's none in this year's yeah Big Eight. The only one was McClay, and uh, like I said, he's been taken out of it because of Jerry Jones. So it should be interesting. I want I want the leading edge for the Vikings. I want us to be, and I said it before, to be the innovators in football. Football is constantly evolving, even though some things seem cyclical. Uh, we may see the flying uh, wing T again. Who knows? But it's all cyclical, but it's evolving further and further in how we play football. I want somebody that has the, the thought process to take that and go with it and generate wins, knowing that, hey, I need this type of personnel to get this type of result. Not that I want to look for the best fullback I can find because we're going to pound the rock like we did in 2009 um, or whatever the, you know, the theory is. So that's what I'm hoping for. Hello, Noir. Um, we'll see. Is there any other ones you wanted to talk about? One of the other ones I wanted to talk about was with, was uh, Catherine Raich. Uh, and uh, from, she's with the, the Eagles vice president of football operations have been with them three years. Again, another minority candidate. She be the first, uh, if she gets the GM job, she'd be the first one since, uh, since uh, Leonard Toza's daughter was uh, put in that position back in the early eighties with, with the Eagles. Um, and, and, you know, again, she's someone who's, she's actually was an assistant general manager in the CFL for the Montreal Alouettes and worked in the front office for the Toronto Argonauts in the NFL. Um, before she came to the Eagles. Again, another highly educated uh, person. She's in her 30s, so 33. we're going to have lots of energy. Yeah, mm -hmm. and lots of energy, just like Adolfo Mensa. Hopefully she has no family, so she'll devote all her time to football. <laughs> and uh, and um, um, and another hot candidate. Uh, again, you, you, we can't discount this the, the diversity, the minority, the that the will seem to be if you look yeah, at the eight candidates they right. are they are interviewing, uh, there's a lot of diversity, a lot of minority candidates in there. They're obviously targeting that. Uh, the only thing about the uh, yeah, the only thing about Catherine is that again, uh, again Ben Lieber's list of players who have been drafted while she's been with the team. If I'm the Wilfs, I'm asking her, okay, take us through the process of the Eagles drafting Jalen Ragor over Justin Jefferson. <laughs> that will be yep. <laughs> and that, that goes, be my first question. And that goes for the other other Eagles. Um, Candidate, uh, uh, Brown. Yeah, Brandon. Yeah, Brown. Brandon Brown. Brown. Uh, um, I think uh, one one of the things about all of these eight candidates uh, that was also important to mention before I, I continue kind of my riff on the GM is Lieber's players, uh, notable players drafted. The only one who's got like a really good quarterback is. Ryan Poles from the Chiefs. Uh, he was there when they drafted Mahomes. Mm -hmm. uh, otherwise, uh, it's Baker Mayfield or nothing as far as quarterback goes. And I think uh, the Vikings are probably going to be in the in the uh, market for a new quarterback uh, in this off season. Yeah, well, so, and that, you know that's going to be one of the questions 
during these interviews, what are your plans? What would you like to do with Kirk Cousins? And as I said before, there's a wrong answer and there's a right answer to that. And we don't know what that answer is, whether it be right or wrong. Um, because only the Wolfs know. So that should be interesting. What's fascinating about her is the breadth of experience. She comes from the business side. She is a lawyer by trade. She has done a bunch of the cap negotiations, uh, other stuff like that. She is mostly into it, analytics. And uh, she's bounced around, hasn't been there relatively long. And it would be interesting because she would be the first female ever hired yeah. as a GM, if that's the case, because you're right, there was one that was appointed, a daughter of an owner, uh, but she'd be the first one hired, and I think it'd be a good deal. Both of those two people, both Catherine and Queasy, are young, very young. We pointed that out. Queasy's 32. Catherine's 33. That is extremely, extremely young for a GM, but if the Wilfs go that way, they can expect a long running term. And if they pair it up with a young head coach, we could watch this grow into something very, very special. And yes, the young and uh, I think just maybe we get we get into it a little bit before we move on, but. these eight candidates for me, kind of what I, you know, what am I looking for from a GM from for the next GM? And you talked about cutting edge. We want somebody on the cutting edge. I agree with that, David. And what I want for the Vikings for the next GM is is uh, there's this guy. He's in a different sport, baseball. Uh, general manager for the Tampa Bay Rays. Eric Neander is his name. I want the Vikings to pick their version of Eric Neander. And if you know baseball at all, you'll know uh, that the thing that's notable about Neander and the Rays are, is that <laughs> Wayne. <laughs> I don't know if he's talking about Neander, if he's talking about Catherine. I think he's talking about, I think he's talking about Catherine, but you know, you know Neander he's, is another guy who's uh, uh, became a GM at a young age, but the, the Tampa Bay Rays have become a model organization in Major League Baseball. They've got like the lowest payroll of any team in the Major Leagues, basically, and they've been uh, and they've been probably I think they've had the best cumulative overall record the past five seasons in Major League Baseball, and they've done that when he's been GM, and he is uh, the, the the Rays under Neander have have changed the way the game of baseball is played. They've pioneered things like the, the opener, which is uh, you, you, you bring in a relief pitcher to start your games instead of a starting pitcher. And he oh. pitches one or two innings instead of the old traditional, the starting pitcher gets starts and he pitches as long as he can go. Uh, everybody, lots of teams do that. Now they, they pioneered the five uh, player outfield instead of, or the four player outfield instead of three. The tradition. They've pioneered extreme shifts in the infield. So uh, shifting in the infield has been going on for a number of years, but they've gone beyond that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you should watch. Uh, and they, they, they know exactly what players they're looking for they to fit that. the style of play that they have, and they, 
they draft a lot of you know, a lot of players infielders who are multi-positional and they draft a lot of uh, uh, they'll draft pitchers uh, a lot of college relief pitchers looking because they use a lot of relief guys because they don't use a starter for six or seven innings and They've been so successful, teams are copying this. And they went to the World Series two years ago. They, they lost. But, but you know, you with Neander, they are always one step ahead of the competition. And they have to be because they can't spend their way to success. They have to – they develop players very well. They know what players they're looking for. Uh, they, they do a great job with their scouting staff. And – there's a lot of synergy between the GM and the, and the manager on the field. In fact, uh, uh, the manager almost is told what to do by the GM, you know, uh, you know, he doesn't go by feeling or instinct. They go by the numbers. Now that's, there's gotta be a balance, but you really feel the, the rails know what they're doing. They're on step ahead of every other team in Major League Baseball, and that's the kind of organization I yes. want the Minnesota Vikings to be. I want our GM to be the person who provides with an edge over every opponent we play. Whereas, a, whereas if you you know in the past couple of years, we always felt we were we were outgunned on coaching and general manager, and well, you know, depending on who the, we played, and then every time yeah. we played, we played down or up to the level of the opponent and we're like why is that we shouldn't mm-hmm. we need we need a eric neander clone for the minnesota vikings as a gm and that doesn't mean like going total analytics geek it just means somebody who's forward thinking is cutting edge like you said dave and is taking the vikings you know in a direction organizationally where we are we are going to be cutting edge leading edge as far as how professional football in the nfl is going to be played from 2022 onward mm-hmm. now uh going back to Catherine, one of the interesting things that somebody had asked a question of why you, uh she thinks she's good and uh, it came up to the communication part uh players aren't afraid to talk to her which I don't think was the case in our situation here in uh, Minnesota this last season. And she's easier. She's not a threat. I mean, she's probably five foot four, five foot five, you know, whatever. So she's not a physical threat of any means. And it should be interesting to see if that sort of dealing on top of the analytics and all the other stuff, but that sort of dealing with, the organization and leading the organization that way fosters the communication that the Wilfs have talked about, the collaboration, the making everybody feel good, um, that they're there and that they're contributing. I wonder if that might push it over the top. We shall see. When do you expect? You want, you want like this guy, Meander, when do you expect the Wilfs to come up with a decision on the GM? What I, I expect they'll make a decision by next week. Uh, I was told that they, uh, what I read today was that they won't rush it, but uh, it seems to me taking a week to 
only seven days to interview eight candidates to make a decision is uh, rushing it. But really, uh, the, the, you know, things move fast in pro football. You've got a divisional rival who also uh, needs a GM and a head coach, and they're looking for one. And you don't want to lose your preferred candidate to the to the Chicago Bears because you were too slow getting on it. So, um, I was about to say, G-Mac, uh, you know, she's on other teams' lists. Yeah, uh, we're not the only ones interviewing these eight folks. So, uh, y- y- uh, so you've got to get on it. You've got to interview them as quickly as you can and make a decision as quickly as you can. And th- they already know these people, and they've interviewed them. They've already uh, they've, vetted. They've researched them. Re- they they've vetted and researched. So, really, I think it's coming down to the interviews. What answers those candidates provide the search committee and how much they like it and how many points they give them for and how many boxes they tick off. Um, that's going to be the deciding factor, but they, they have to make a quick decision and they have to make it by next week because, uh, because you don't want, I think you don't want to G you, you're higher GM and I, then you got to hire a head coach and you don't want to be hiring a head coach that the GM is not keen on because, then you get kind of a situation like you got with in Houston, where maybe you hire a David Cully type, and the, and they're gone after one year, unless the, the the David Cully type takes you to the Super Bowl. And but but there's a time factor here that you've got several teams that need head coaches in particular, mm-hmm. and you don't want to lose out on your preferred candidate because you were still messing around with selecting who your GM was. And, and I think and, that's and Mark said that's why he we're wants seeing, the GM to have some input into the head coach and at minimum you want it to be yeah i can work with him at minimum that's what you want yes yes not with no we're not going to get along why'd you hire him mark and why'd you hire me no that's setting up for failure straight from the get-go um yeah so yeah no and and i think that the 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 Vikings are still, we've seen some head coaching candidates who are definitely getting interviewed by the Vikings, even before they have a general manager selected. But again, we're in a bit of a time crunch here because we're not, we're one of six teams or so who need a head coach. And uh, we, we've got to start interviewing some of them, even if we don't have the, the general right. manager picked, because uh, you, you've got to get some data on these guys and to and, and, get to a quick decision. Right. And then we have the playoffs and when people can be released from the playoffs, um, how they could do, can they do a Zoom interview in between? And these right now are Zoom interviews. Uh, yeah, I think if you make it to the next level, it'll be come to Minnesota type interview. Um, we know on the coaches, and I believe it's the same for the front office, but if they're still in the playoffs, they cannot do that. you got to wait till they're finished. Um it's interesting, but with the coaches, and if you were paying attention this morning, there was a whole lot of traffic on uh, throughout the Viking sphere of this coach being asked for permission to interview, and it's the point where the Vikings have made up their short list, and then they submit those people names to the league. The leagues come out, Schefter reports on, well, the Vikings want to interview so-and-so, Um and we, we're seeing that list. It's six or eight or nine people long, and it can grow there too. But it's we're, we're going to have to wait. But I think when they get to the GM portion, they may say, hey, we've already interviewed Coach A, B, C, and D. Um, we like these guys. Which one of these 
do you think? Have you, you worked with them before or whatever? And they've already got that preliminary interview stuff done. Can they work, you know, within the organization? Are they going to fit blah, blah, blah? And then it's just matching up their GM candidate with, can you do with this? And they'll already have that ready for the GM once he or she is in place and on board. We shall see. Um, hello, Noir. Uh, Thank you, Noir. <laughs> are we going to help that person who wanted to, who's from Pakistan, Dave, and wants to? Well, uh, I don't get to the U.S. <laughs> I I can fully understand why they want to get to the U.S. from Pakistan. <laughs> Uh, wholeheartedly being uh, just across the border from there myself and dealing with Pakistanis numerous times when we move stuff through there, I can understand why he wants to get out, uh, especially in the summertime. It's a hot, miserable mess, but it is a pretty country. Um, I'll give him that much for it. All right. Now we'll go down to the last uh, uh, theme of the day. We're looking at some of the holes, and the one hole you wanted to talk about was that linebacker. Do we have a problem with yes, linebacker? We certainly do, Dave. Uh, and this is going to be like a uh, a uh, regular segment of this show for the, during the off season. Is look at each position on the Vikings and look at the strengths and weaknesses of that position. And just starting with linebacker today for no particular reason uh, other than uh, it could potentially be a hot mess. Um, <laughs> and uh, if, you know, this this season, the Vikings defense overall was poor. Uh, some strong performances by certain individuals, but as a unit collectively, it did not perform as expected, not even close, and actually was probably a bit worse than last year. But linebacker... Um, we're not sure yet what defense the Vikings are going to run. They have run a 4-3 since probably, what, Dave, 1984, 85? Yeah, somewhere there. Um, now, they, Zimmers they were, is more of a hybrid, but it's a base 4-3, yes. Yeah, it's a base 4-3, and uh, but... Um, so whether the Vikings are going to need are going to run a three four or a four three, we do not know at this point in time. But let's just assume we're just going to deal with the the linebackers that we do have. And um, right now, the only sure thing really is in my mind is Eric Kendricks, and he's signed for another two years. Got a I think a fair for a player of his caliber, a fairly reasonable cap hip cap hit of 13.5 million i think for somebody who's as good as eric kendricks that's pretty good uh, so he's here for two years he's going to be an inside linebacker middle All linebacker pro eric kendricks right even if it's not first team he's still there but well, the great player i don't think it was first first team this year let's see there's two vikings that made first team kenny noangu for kick return and then the other one was, no, Eric Kendricks, linebacker. The reporters, I didn't AP All-Pro. Mm. Okay. Anyway. I believe, uh, it, I, Kendricks I believe is, it was Kendricks. It wasn't Harrison. No. I, anyway, um, I'll have to look uh, that we'll up. Have to, we'll uh, have to look it up. <laughs> Maybe somebody but, in the uh, comments we, can chime in. Yeah. Uh, but Kendrick's a very good player. He he'll definitely be back next year, I think, unless something really weird happens with with whether we're running a three four or a four three. But 
Anthony Barr, uh, Stephen Stephen Power was just saying uh, that uh, Barr sucks. Well, Barr doesn't suck, but for the amount of cash he makes, uh, you'd as we I was talking about last week, you'd like him to be more of an impactful player than he was. I uh, did have a very good, I think, last three games of the season. Uh, the problem was the other fourteen, some of which he didn't play because he he missed a couple. Well, especially uh, at the beginning, because those knees being degenerate. And we know what degenerate knees lead to, i.e., look up Sam Bradford. It's yeah. It's not going to be. It will be if you'll be fighting a losing battle the whole time, and you might get a few games, and then it might flare up, and then he's out for four, you know. And it's and with no guarantee to come back. It's no none. It's that and type at, of situation. And that. Soon to be thirty, it's not going to get any better. Correct. Um, going forward, so and it doesn't uh, matter how much only, money you throw at him; it's not going to help the knee. No, it is not. Um, so last week I talked and I said he won't be back. It's pretty much guaranteed. Uh, the only thing about Barr is that uh, whether uh, and, and his contract's avoided after this year too, right? Like so, but he's going to have a, this cap that carries over. Yeah. Nine point nine million of it. So uh, the the Vikings. I don't think he'll be back. Uh, okay, I don't think he'd Harrison. be worth the money. Thank you, Stephen. Yeah, thanks, Stephen. Uh, you're making good use of your time in COVID self isolation, buddy. Uh, <laughs> but uh, it, so and you're not having bar there. Nick Vigil, the other starting guy for uh, in the Vikings of the three starting linebackers, uh, it was on a one year deal. Uh, with the Vikings, a very cheap one-year deal. But the thing with Vigil is his first two games, he had a pick six and he and he, he had a, got a sack at Joe Burrow. Mm-hmm. And after that, um, not as very noticeable. His run defense was probably the weakest of the three Vikings li- starting linebackers. I think a new head coach and a new general manager might not value, probably won't value him very much and will want to look at other Options at linebackers. And it so I don't the defense they want to play. Whether they want to go back to a bigger linebacker or not, versus a small one, because we tend to run with smaller ones. We it's do. going to be interesting. Yes. Um, but and we don't know what the market will be for Nick Vigil either, as he hits mm-hmm. free agency. So um, I don't <laughs> think he'll be back. I don't think Barr will be back. And then outside of those starting three, uh, you got Chaz Surratt. We don't know what we have here because he barely because got Because he was dressed. a third rounder. Yeah, he's a third rounder who Zimmer never dressed. You got Troy Dye, second year with the team. Um, I don't know. I've always considered him kind of, he's a middle backup middle linebacker, but he's really, really undersized for that position, I think, and uh, misses a lot of tackles. Uh, Blake Lynch, he had some, you know, he was kind of, I think, the most pleasant surprise of the younger Vikings linebackers this year. Um, he had a great game against Detroit, um, and he might be somebody you work with. But I kind of feel like he's probably more of a special teamer, backup, occasional starter when the starter gets hurt kind of guy. Uh, if he's even with the, he is signed next year. So if the Vikings want him back, he he will be back. And then you got Ryan Connolly who's on IR and is just a special team guy. And then Tuff Borland, who is an undrafted rookie free agent that they brought up from the practice squad. But uh, there's a long way of, long way of saying that there's not a whole lot of depth 
at the Vikings linebacker position right now, and they really need to look at early in the draft at drafting a, an impact linebacker. Is it Nicobe Dean from Georgia, who at six foot and 230 pounds is not the biggest guy? Uh, is it Devin Lloyd from Utah, another another rangy, long? Uh, came to Utah as a safety, became a linebacker, but a guy who made tons of plays. Didn't have the greatest Rose Bowl game, though, against Ohio State. But uh, he's been a very good player. Is it uh, Smith from Penn State? Uh, we know last year there was a linebacker from came out of Penn State, drafted in the first round, and he did pretty well by the name of Micah Parsons. Uh, I think Smith has well. looked to... Yeah, I think Smith is looked at as more of a second-round guy, but he's one of the top three linebackers I've seen. So uh, the Vikings really need to look at drafting an impact linebacker early this year, I believe. Not a whole lot on free agency. Uh, there's a lot, a lot of work to do at linebacker for the Vikings this offseason, and the options, at least with the team or free agency, are not, I would say, optimal. Uh, so... And we'll get into a lot when, of work to do there when CTP gets into the draft more with Tyler Fornis and um, everybody that does our draft side of the house. We'll get more into seeing how that linebacker class is, and we'll keep you updated on that as well as the other positions that we know are going to be good and how they may fit in. But the key question is, we need to know how they may fit in, and that takes a new GM and a new coach and what sort of philosophies they're going to employ. We know we have one good linebacker. We're going to need to build up some more, no matter what sort of scheme we play next year. Yeah, it's it's just, uh, like you said, you you need that GM, you need that head coach. We do not have any idea other than like a few of the, 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 you know, the Justin Jeffersons, the Eric Kendricks, the Harrison Smiths, uh, those guys, the Brian O'Neills, those guys are going to be valued by any head coach or general manager who comes to the team. But for a vast majority of the staff, we don't know what they'll think of the talent that the Vikings have and, and what role they want them to have or whether they want some of these, they think these guys are starters or backups or we just don't know any of those things right now. And uh, there could be a lot more movement with the Vikings roster than we actually think just based on what the head coach feels about the roster and the, and what the general manager feel, how they feel about the roster. Right. We know that, we know Cap that when plays uh, into it, how attitude, yeah. attitude and leadership within the locker room play into it. There's a whole lot of stuff going to happen and it should be exciting. Very exciting. Uh, and yeah, even when, when, um, Zimmer first came to the the Vikings, of course. Uh, it, it wasn't a whole slew of Bengals that came over with them, but there were some Bengals that eventually fil- filtered over to the Vikings, Terrence Newman being one. Uh, you know, some others like George Iloka and uh, Emmanuel Lemire were, uh, <laughs> were really fringe guys. But, but uh, the head coach, if they've been with an NFL team before, or the general manager has been with an NFL team before, they will have some guys with the organizations that they were previously employed with, that they'll want to bring with them to the Vikings. Mm-hmm. It should be interesting. That's it folks for today's show. Is there anything you want to say Darren to the good people? Oh, I'd want to thank uh, the good people for showing up today. I'm seeing like well over 30 on my screen. Uh, that are live sh- watching. 
for live watching, and they're clearly not too uh, interested in watching the uh, Bengals-Oakland Raiders playoff game right now. I know it's Las Las Vegas, folks, but I refuse to call the Raiders the Las Vegas Raiders. And that's a possible head coach opening, too. Um, We don't know what the Raiders are going to do with their interim head coach, whether they're going to make him the permanent or if they're going to go out looking for head coaches as well. So we'll find out. they got to get through the playoffs first. That's right. we got a head start on them anyway. Mm -hmm. And then tonight is the New England-Buffalo game. And that looks to be a nice weather game. And I love when weather comes into play a factor in football. And so it might be uh, not so easy for New England, but we'll find out. Or Buffalo. because Or Buffalo. Well, they, they Buffalo lost they last de- time, they, you know, up there in the weather. So They did, and they depend more on the past than the, the Patriots mm-hmm. do. So mm-hmm. that will be interesting. Aha. Uh-huh. Well, everybody, enjoy your super-duper, fantastic, wonderful wild-card weekend. And uh, we'll be here with you watching the football as soon as we get done here. But I want to thank you all for coming, all for joining us in the chat. And as always, Skull Vikings! Skull Vikings, baby! Thank you for watching or listening. As always, if you like, subscribe, and ring the bell for notifications. And if you're listening to the podcast, please rate us on your favorite aggregator. Skull, everybody.